Uh, we're in part three of a series called Never Regret, and what I don't mean by this is that you're going to have a year that you never regret anything about it. I don't think that's the case, but there are things in our lives that uh, we've been looking at that are hard on the front end, that are difficult, and yet when we do them, we never regret doing them. And we're looking at how do we lean in more into those areas in our lives that we actually never regret, even though they are difficult. Uh, And so two weeks ago, we started with grit. Last week, we talked about game. This morning, we're talking about, or last week, we talked about grub. This week, we're talking about groove. Yes, G theme. I know. Um, Do you like it? Okay. That's like one person. That's only one person that liked it. God bless you, Glenn. Um, Everyone else is like, that's so lame. Um, And next week, game. My buddy Eric Frampton, who played NFL seven years, is going to be here. I'll interview him and talk about what he learned about the game of football and living out his faith in the pro arena. Okay, so before we dive in this morning, I, I want to have a little family chat, a little church, like, hey, this is where family and a little Chitty chat, I guess, if you will. Um, And here it is. I want to celebrate something, and I want to celebrate it really big. And I'm kind of letting you know that as soon as I say this, we should be like cheering out of our mind when I say this, right? I'm just giving you the forewarning. And then I want to have just a little word of caution for us as a church. And so what we need to celebrate and celebrate really, really big is every single year we do a thing called the Generous Campaign, where we give sacrificially as a church for those around the world, specifically Haiti, uh, that are in need. And so this year we're giving towards um, relief. And as a result, the giving of our church is going to help 50 plus houses be rebuilt from the hurricane. Uh, We give towards Uh, clean drinking water. As a result of this church, we're going to build at least four brand new wells, or if they need more refurbing, we'll be able to do that in Haiti. And as a result of our giving, we give to education for elementary, and like I think like 100 kids are sponsored and college students because of the giving of our church. This last year was a banner year for generous our generous campaign, where we gave away 90 plus thousand dollars. It's amazing. It's amazing. And here's why. So if you're new to church, if you're new, why would a group gather together and give a lot of money away? Um, Here's why. We believe the church should lead the way in unleashing extravagant generosity because we have an extravagantly generous God. He who did not spare his own son for us, how can we not along with him graciously as he's given us all things extravagantly give to those around us, all right? And we're going to celebrate big of what God's doing. Now, are you ready for the word of caution? Yeah, nobody ever is. Um, but here, here it is. Here's my little word of caution for us as a church. So when we do the Generous campaign, and I'm going to own it, I didn't communicate clearly enough uh, on this. And Generous is giving over and above what we regularly give to the ministry and work uh, that's happening here uh, at Awakening Church. So here's the word of caution. And so in December, though we gave more than we ever gave away, Our December giving was the lowest it's ever been, ever, 
in our entire life church. And so if you look at our offering, you can see that in your notes, that we're actually behind our budget as a community, as a church, and that's in large part due to our giving in December. And here's what you need to know. We can't do that. We can't sustain and be a church. We can't rent facilities. Uh, We can't have office space. We can't pay staff people. Uh, This is part of the mission and calling that God has for us here. And that's just our... My little word of caution. Now, just so you know, we're not in the red. We're not spending more than what we have. All those sort of things. Uh, God's taking care of us. But that's just something we can't continue to do. Uh, and it's just my little word of caution for us as we learn, and this is what it is, how we learn to be generous. How we learn to be generous towards God and towards others uh, in our life. All right? Okay. That's the end. Kind of anticlimactic. We celebrated and went down. Okay. You know, I was thinking this week, um, in light of that, that I I have a pretty weird job. Um, In fact, some people ask me and they go, what do you do during the week? Like, I get the whole Sunday thing, but how do you fill an entire week's worth of work? I mean, all you do is get up there and talk. Um, I mean, what what do you do? And uh, really, I sleep in, um, hang out, drink coffee. Um, no, what's interesting is, yeah, I look at spreadsheets. We, the, part of it is I, I have to do a, a lot of organizational leadership, you know, with our staff right now. Our fiscal year end is in June. And so as a result, we're doing mid-year reviews. What, do you do that in church? Absolutely. We do performance reviews and helping. We want to grow and get better. So that's part of this week and what I was dealing with. I do leadership development, staff development, and helping people grow and become who God made them to be. Everyone, uh, every once in a while, I do a bit of pastoral counseling and these sort of things. And then I think the weirdest part of my job is that I take a significant chunk every single week to hear from God what he wants to say to us. Like, I, like, I mean, a big chunk, a big part of it, like, what do you do during the week is stopping to be from God, getting into his word and going, okay, God, what do you want to say to our church? How, how do you want to speak to us that we might become who you have called us and made us to be? Now, the irony of it all is um, we're speaking this week on uh, groove. <laughs> Some weeks when I'm like in that, okay, God, what do you want to say? I'm in this groove, you know? I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's like I'm just taking notes. I'm like, oh, that's so good. And the notes come together and the illustrations all fall into place. I'm like, hallelujah. You know, it's so good. And the irony of it all is on the week on groove, I was out of the groove. I was just completely out of the groove. And part of it was I, I had to prepare uh, two messages this week. Uh, I had to prepare today's, and then I'm actually speaking tomorrow in Boston at Gordon College about spirituality and technology. I'd encourage uh, or ask for your prayer because my wife and I get on a red eye, uh, and then we land, and a few hours later, then going to preach. And so I am planning on getting great sleep on that red eye uh, there. Uh, but I had to prepare for that, and I was stressed out because um, I don't know what the university world and college students are like in Boston. I know what it's like here. And so I'm like, okay, what is that? And so I'm working so hard. And then I I got my notes 
you know, I turn them in every Thursday at noon. That's my false deadline to make sure I'm prepared and that I'm allowing God's word to just permeate my soul before I get up and ever share it. And so, like, I'm, Thursday morning, I'm so stressed out. I wake up at 3.30 in the morning because it's not there yet. Get a cup of coffee, start working. And then finally, you know, by 6 o'clock, I've had four cups of coffee. And I'm looking at my notes, and I'm going, this is not right. There's just something. I'm going, this is not right. This isn't working. And so my stress level just like shot up. My kids wake up. I start yelling at them, you know. I'm like, come on, get ready. And I just start yelling at my kids. And then, and then I pick a fight with my wife. Oh, that's stupid. Uh, you know, and, and, and so then finally it's from 7 to 8, that whole, like 7 to 7.45, that all happens. And then I sit back down to hear from God. Oh, and it was in that moment <laughs> that, like, the conviction of God was just like, really, Ingram? Really? Huh. So, so you're going to somehow think that this whole thing, that's what's going to happen in this moment, relies on you. Aren't you arrogant? That somehow you have to have something clever to say. Somehow you have to figure it out, and once you figure it out and you get the notes all right and have it just kind of catchy, then the Spirit of God will show up. And then you can treat other, everyone else like jerk. Really? Okay, thanks, God. That's cool. See, what was wrong with my first draft of notes wasn't that it didn't have good content. I think it was. But when I looked at it, what I realized is it was far more self-helpy than focusing on Jesus. And the Spirit of God just said, okay, here's what I want you to do in this moment. And if nothing else happens, who cares? I want you to point people to me. I want you to help them shift their attention off their concerns and their worries and what's going on in their day and help them gain a perspective and a gaze where they would look up and see Jesus, their Savior, see Jesus, majestic in glory, see Jesus, the one and only who came for you and for me. And so this morning, here's all I got. I want to help us see Jesus this morning. And so if you got your notes, if you would open them up, I want to talk about how do we get in a groove with God? How do you grow in your relationship? How do you actually do it in such a way that you see heart transformation, that the fruit of the Spirit becomes an evidence in your life? And so I want to talk about the rhythm, really, at the beginning of the Silicon Valley, the groove that we're currently in. The rapids that pull us down this swift current and river often far away from God. Because the groove or the rhythm of Silicon Valley is at odds with the rhythm of Jesus. The rhythm of the Silicon Valley goes something like this. In last service, I got snotty too, excuse me. I, I, got, I got a snot rag now. The rhythm of the, wow, I got loud there. The rhythm of the Silicon Valley goes something like this. Success at any cost. How many hours? 60, 80 hours? How much travel? Gone 200 days a week? At the expense of your health? And so as a result, it's busyness as a badge of honor. I've said this 
many times because it's true for us, but the answer, how are you doing? Busy. And if you're not busy, something's wrong with you, right? You're like, how are you doing? Busy. But if you go, man, I'm fantastic. Remember that? Remember that? I still say that, by the way. Um, people look at you like, what? What's wrong with you? The goal is financial freedom. Well, why? That's why so many people move here. There's incredible opportunity. And it's why so many people move away from here. We live in the fourth most expensive place, not in the U.S., in the world. The results are success at the expense of significance. Quote success, if you will. And whatever your aim, whatever your pursuit, your direction, at the expense of that which matters most, at the expense of those who matter most. So we end up overworked, yet underfulfilled, sense of emptiness, void, in the quiet spaces of our heart, a deep longing. And if financial freedom is the goal, the interesting part is many end up with more money but less peace. More money and more worries, more anxiety, more stress. That's the rhythm of the Silicon Valley. It's the current, it's the groove that we get caught up in. It's the pace that is constantly around us. And then you have Jesus. John 10.10, Jesus says this, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I I just wonder if the rhythm of the valley is part of that killing, stealing, destroying in our own lives that we get caught up or swept away in. And then he says this, I have come that you might have, help me out, life. What kind of life? Abundant life. I have come... Like, the reason I showed up on the planet. Isn't that amazing? Like, Jesus showed up on the planet. God incarnate showed up on the planet to bring you and me life. Abundant life. Life to the very full. Literally, it's the overflowing life. It's what we've been pursuing. What we've been longing for. Well... How do you experience life to the full? I'd like to suggest a new way to do life. A new rhythm for your new year. Not a new you, perhaps, but a new rhythm for your new year. It's the rhythm of Jesus. If you got your Bibles, if you would open them up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to look at the rhythm of Jesus what he's inviting you and me into. And here's the beautiful part. The rhythm of Jesus, though it is at odds with the Silicon Valley rhythm, it is one that you can live in the Silicon Valley and still abide in him. And so you can live here. You can thrive here. You just can't beat, dance to the same dance that the Silicon Valley is. You're dancing to a different beat. Jesus is going to give us a principle couple illustrations and then a promise. Verse 25, Jesus says, here's the principle for the rhythm of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
What do you mean, don't worry? Don't you know how expensive it is here? Don't you know that, I, that like all the work that I'm putting in to this education, and I don't even know if I'm going to have a job, and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for all those student loans. Don't you know that it feels like everyone else is getting ahead in life, and at my work, I feel like I'm just stuck? Don't you know that, that our rent has just escalated? Don't you know that, that I would love to own a home? I want to own a home, but I can't in this valley. What do you mean, do not worry about your life? what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. And then here's the principle. This is so important. Here's something that we all know, but we often forget. Is not life more? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Here's the principle. There's more to life than having more in life. There's more to this life. Like, just stop with me for a second. Would you catch this? Like, you're not a physical being. You are a spiritual being. You are eternal, created in the image of God. And you're sitting next to not just an ordinary person. You're sitting next to a spiritual being that is eternal, created in the very image of God. You've never met an ordinary person. And there's more to life than attaining and gaining and stuff. Here's what we know. We all know that. But we often forget it, don't we? In fact, many of us in this room would say we believe this. But we often don't actually do it. Jesus says, okay, here's the, here's the rhythm. What you first need to embrace is there's more than the rat race. Illustration number one. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Okay, so just hang out for a second. Because some of you are thinking this do not worry part is like just sit back and do nothing. That's not what he's saying here. Not worrying and not working, those are different things, right? He's not saying don't work hard, don't be diligent. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't be anxiously fretfully worrying about what will be and could be. Here's, the, here's what he's saying. This is so good. Don't worry about all the things that are outside your control. Trust the one who is in control. That is what he's saying. We worry not about what we can do. We worry about the things we can't do. And we fret and we, ang we have anxiety about them. And it's all things that are outside our control. He's not saying don't work. He's saying do not worry. Trust the one who is in control. And yet, okay, back to the birds of the year, right? Sow and reap and store in barns, and yet your circle, this heavenly Father feeds them. He knows their needs. And then he asks two questions. Are you not much more valuable than they? Answer, yes. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Answer, no. By the way, um, I struggle deeply with anxiety. I don't know if any of you do that, but I, I, I have in the past. When planning this church, man, the first two years, uh, anxiety was a way of life for me. Um, not a good way of life, but a way of life. Uh, and I just thought the irony of God is I woke up in the middle of the night completely anxious <laughs> last night. And what's funny is what we worry about. And so um, yesterday, my sons were doing their Little League tryout. 
And we're out there, and, you know, Miles is doing his, and Ryder's doing his, and Ryder showed up, and they didn't have his name on the thing. I signed up early. I got, you know, back in December, I got the discount. I did all the different things. Yes, sir. Uh, and I did all the different things that I needed to do when we show up. They don't have his name, but as a result, they have a number and a uh, letter there. The letter represents your age, and they gave him a different letter than his age. It was actually a year younger. And in my head, I'm thinking, all these guys, because they're picking teams, they're looking at him thinking he's younger and he might get overlooked. And so in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about what these other guys are thinking about my son and whether they're going to put him in the right category because I don't want him to be in the wrong category and somehow miss out. And I'm in the middle of the night worried. So stupid. (laughs) And I just thought how ironic. Thanks, God. That's cool. Can any of you worry by, does it produce a single hour to your life? No, worry accomplishes absolutely nothing. Illustration number two. And why do you worry about clothes? What you wear, what you have? See how the flowers of the field grow and they do not labor or spin? Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? By the way, um, worry reveals the object of our faith, what we're putting our trust in. Worry actually reveals what we think about God. There it is. Okay, good. I had to borrow a quarter. I don't know whose quarter this is, but I borrowed it from last service. Uh, this is, uh, my wife reminded me of this illustration I used to use quite a bit. And, and I just want to use it here for a second just to put it into perspective for us. The way we go about life and the reason we get caught up so often in the rhythm of the Silicon Valley, the groove. My phone is dinging on me. There we go. The reason we get caught up in the Silicon Valley groove is this, that our life's concerns, what we eat, what we drink, how we're going to provide that relationship, how we're going to make it to the end of the month. What, the way it often happens is if this represents all the concerns of your life, if this quarter represents all the concerns, all the things you're worried about, all the stuff that's going on, it might be that test, it might be that project at work, it might be with your kids. And what we do is this is the way we live. It'll keep it all the way close, right up into our eyes. So all that we see is our concerns. All that we see is the hard things that are going on in our life. And it just becomes the filter upon which we see all of life. Now, if you'll imagine, Imagine with, you, with me, if you will, that this room represents God. Now, he's infinite, he's infinite, eternal. He's way bigger than this room. But let's just pretend this room because that's pretty big for us. And here's what happens when we gain a perspective of our God. Because if you have a small God, you will have big concerns. They'll be overwhelming and he cannot do anything about them. But when you begin to stretch them out in light of the expanse of who God is, that he is almighty, all-powerful, the creator of the universe, that there is nothing outside of his control. He is sovereign and he is good and he is eager to work and move on your behalf. All of a sudden, your problems don't actually change in size. Your concerns don't actually change in size. They change 
change in perspective, don't they? Because you see them in light of God around them. And so though they are not all consuming anymore, you pull them out. And yes, you still have them, but now you see you have a God who surrounds them. I love this, by the way. Your heavenly father. Jesus always wanted to connect this heavenly father for us. Chapter 7, he would be teaching and talking about um, prayer and talking and saying, ask, seek, find. And, and you know what was interesting is then he uses this illustration about, hey, how many of you with your kids would, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? None of us. How many of you, hopefully none of us, um, how many of you, if your kids asked for bread, would give them a stone? None of us. And then he says this, if you being, check this out, if you being evil, meaning that you don't parent perfectly, know how to give good gifts to your kids, and then I love this next line because this changed the way I thought about God. How much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you? That you're not just coming to a God that is whatever, You come to a heavenly father. You come to the God of the how much more eager to move on your behalf. See, worry reveals the object of our faith and the size of our God. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For even the pagans, those who live as if there is no God, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. So the principle, there's more to life than having more in life. And when you begin to embrace that, and you step into the promise of God, this is stepping into the rhythm of Jesus for your life. And the promise of God is this. If you embrace that there's more to life, you're created for more, then here's the promise. But seek first his kingdom. But seek first his kingdom. That's his will, his will and his agenda on planet Earth. And seek first his righteousness. That's doing life according to his plan and design. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The rhythm of Jesus is pursue your heavenly father's heart. Pursue your heavenly father's heart. And he will provide for what's on your heart. This is what he's saying. When you run hard after him, when you set him and you say, God, I'm going to seek and I'm going to pursue you. Because whatever we pursue is what we prioritize. Your, your priority is revealed by what you pursue first, by the way. So we can say all day long, hey, I'm pursuing Jesus. Just look at what you're running after. No, that's interesting. Jesus says, don't worry. I love this. And it's not, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) He says, replace your worry with worship. (laughs) You can either worry or you can worship, but you cannot do both. He says, replace your worry 
It's not just do not worry and you're good. It says don't worry, but worship. Replace your worry with worship where you seek first him and his righteousness and his way. And you go, Jesus, I need you. I'm going to wake up today and pursue the Father's heart. So God, what's on your heart today? God, what are you wanting to do? And the promise of God, the promise of God is that he will provide for what's on your heart. So I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about what does it look like to truly seek out his kingdom and to pursue the Father's heart. How do you get into a groove with God? First, do you identify your season of development? As your perfect heavenly father, he is intentionally, strategically developing you so that you'll become more like Jesus. Where are you in his development process? Uh, Dr. Robert Clinton has a great book called The Making of a Leader in that he examined all the different heroes of the faith in the Bible and then other heroes of the faith, just, you know, missionaries, and, and began to find a pattern of development that God took people through. And so I, I'm just going to put this up here, and I don't have time to dive into it deeply. I'd invite you to uh, read the book, but he broke, broke it down into six major phases. The first phase is the sovereign phase. This is your growing up time. This is really zero to 20 or 18 to 20. It's your family. It's your environment. It's the events, whether good or bad, the circumstances. And here's what's so amazing about God. Whether you had the greatest upbringing or you had the toughest upbringing Here's what's incredible is that he is proactively working all things together for good. And so you have a providential foundation that God longs to use. And it is your sovereign foundation. And that's phase one. And when you begin to realize, okay, God wasn't absent in that moment. And though he did not cause those events, he is one who's going to use those for my good and his glory. Phase two inner life growth. This is really the transition of when you begin to a relationship with God. You learn to pray. You learn to hear from him. One of the big things in the inner life growth is learning obedience. Learning to trust God and take him at his word. And many in this room, you're in the inner life growth. It is what God is concerned of what he's doing in you. And by the way, uh, I'll save that for next. Uh, and the next one is phase three, uh, ministry maturing. Every single person in here who is a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells inside of you. He's deposited a spiritual gift to bring about supernatural good for his glory. You have a ministry. Okay, you have a ministry. I don't have a ministry to this. I'm not the only one. You have a ministry. We're all co-laborers with Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's freaking amazing, right? Just take that in. Who's your brother? Jesus. Okay? You have a ministry, and in the ministry phase, you begin to discover your spiritual gift. In the ministry phase, you begin to step out and discover what you're made for. 
And by the way, phase one, two, and three, if you just draw kind of a line down that, this is your private world, what God is doing in you. Though certainly he's using you, he's more concerned with what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. God is far more concerned with your character than your comfort. God is far more concerned with your character than what you accomplish. Because who you are matters more to God. And everything you do flows out of who you are. Phase four, life maturing, is the process of then prioritizing who God is, experiencing God and understanding his voice and following. And it's just this process of maturing and he'll take specific events in your life that will cause you to trust him and step out. And often phase three and phase four uh, peak together when, uh, and come when ministry maturing and life maturing happens, you hit phase five, which is this convergence where you have uh, great effectiveness using your life maturity and your ministry maturity, where God begins to use the fruitfulness of your life in ways you could never imagine. And then phase six is the afterglow or celebration, where you're able to pass on the wisdom and the life skills and knowledge of Jesus to a new generation. Identify your season of development. Where are you at? You want to get into the groove of God? Are you in inner life growth? Maybe you're in this combination of the in you phase of inner life and ministry maturing. Uh, maybe for some, you're, you're in the life uh, maturing phase. And for others, you're seeing, you're, you're like, okay, I'm seeing this convergence of how God wants to use my life and calling. A couple questions. Am I in a season or caught in a cycle? I think so oftentimes we... We say it's just a season, it's just a season, but that season never ends. Seasons have beginnings and ends. Are you in a season? Or are you caught in a cycle of busy? And what does God want to develop during this season? I'm going to go pretty quickly through this next season because I, just, I wanted to just center on the text and on the front page. And I want to fill in the blanks for all you people who are going to be mad at me if I don't fill in the blanks. <laughs> So identify your season of development, then think rhythm, not just balance. We, we want balance. We want life to be balanced, and oftentimes that's not true. But think rhythm. What is the rhythm that I'm in? What rhythms do I need to embrace and replace? Would you divert daily? Getting in a groove with God, where you divert daily, and right next to it, right, renew and refresh. Where you'd divert, you'd take time every single day. You'd divert. What do I need to renew? Where you'd spend time with God. Maybe it's going, hey, they're reading through the Old Testament together as a church. I'm going to divert daily and do that. Would you retreat weekly? A rhythm of retreat where you take one day and it's a Sabbath. Sabbath, by the way, isn't that you got all your work done and so you rest. Sabbath is, okay, there's still work to be done and I'm going to rest trusting God to work. You're going, okay, I'm going to turn off my phones. Maybe it's a social media Sabbath for some. Or you take one day and I'm just not going to allow it to beat on my soul anymore. And then you abandon yearly. We actually organize the life calendar of our church so that we do a retreat so that you can abandon yearly where you go with friends, with God, and hear from him. And there's something about getting away for a period of time that gives you perspective and helps you evaluate your priorities. 
Think rhythm, not just balance. And then finally, embrace or accept your limitations and God's invitation. Your limitation, you cannot do it all. You have to say no to someone or something. And God's invitation, God can do it all. Jesus, a little bit later, would say this. Come to me. You want to step into the rhythm of Jesus? Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. I don't know. Did you walk in this morning tired? Did you walk in stressed out? Did you walk in anxious, ridden, unfulfilled, feel like you're caught cycling? He'd say, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest, peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Getting into a good groove with God. Where you said there's more to life than having more to life. And so I'm going to begin to pursue the Father's heart and trust that he will provide for what's on my heart. And so how do you do that? You come. Like for many this morning, this is a moment where you get to come to him and just be and hear him say, I love you. I'm for you. I'm proud of you. Come to me. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to close singing a song, the Lord's Prayer. And I think that's such an appropriate way to come to him. That our Father... We recognize that we have access, that we have a perfect heavenly father. We have the father of the how much more who art in heaven. How would be your name? God, I don't ever want to think small thoughts of you. I always want to keep you high and lifted up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Or how? How about this? Your kingdom come in my life today, God. Would you come? Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And I don't know about tomorrow. Jesus said tomorrow has worry enough on its own. But would you give me today my daily bread? Like just today, I just want to meet with you. I want to meet my Savior. I I just want to know this Jesus. Like, would you just give me today? I, I can't make it through tomorrow. I don't know about the rest of the week. But in this moment, there's something happening inside of me. And I need you. And when you say, God, come, I'm here. He responds every time. And for some, you need a personal encounter with Jesus. And now is your moment. And you just go, God, come. Would you give me what I need today? Would you forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors? Would you lead me from temptation and deliver me from the evil one? Because I know the minute I walk out this door, this moment's going to pass, and and I'm just going to go back to the rhythm of the Silicon Valley. God, would you help me to walk in step with you? For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. 
Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen.